Welcome to the Blitz with Rob and Chris. Wow, what it do? What's up? What's up, boy? We entering playoff season. Got a college football national championship on the way. Got a lot of good sports to talk about. I'm excited. You know, for sure. How was the trip back to Miami, bro? Man, it's been a rough uh, adjustment. You know, come I flew back in probably 6.30 in the morning or something like that. Mm. So I ain't, I ain't been on my sleep since. So if I get any numbers wrong, statistics, I call people by the wrong name, just, you know, blame it we, on my head. Now. We used to that. We used to that. That's so all good. <laughs> I ain't gonna blame it on the sleep. Uh, let's let's jump into it. We got the NBA, you know, getting getting to the flow of things. But what I want to talk about is, yeah, I, I know it's early in the season, but there's a couple of surprises. So I, I want to get your thoughts on it. Let, let's talk through it first. Eastern Conference, everybody, all the talk been about the Brooklyn Nets. Um, you know, been about Giannis and the Bucks. Been about the the Celtics and how deep they are with Tatum and and the, uh uh what's my boy name came from Charlotte Walker Kimball Walker. Um, but with all that being said, I think the 76 ers kind of fell out the free, right? At, at one time, a couple of years ago, they were considered kind of the beast of the East. And with the, the friction between Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, uh, the overpaying of, of uh, what's my boy, uh, Tobias Harris, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of talk. You know, Doc Rivers had a lot of had a lot of, you know, negativity talk from about, P, you know, from Paul George about him not making adjustments. So I, I felt like they kind of flying under the radar but look at it now and they're number one in the east at six and one alone at the top is it legit can they really win the east i don't i don't think it's legit just yet i mean honestly when you look at the you know seven games that they played um two of those games were against the hornets right mm -hmm. and, and to your point um i think only two of them were against playoff teams which were the raptors on opening night I'm sorry, the Celtics on opening night and then the Raptors um, who just, you know, the Raptors, I think, have only won one game at this point. They've completely right. fallen off. And I don't think we would have necessarily known that, like, the loss of Gasol and Serge Ibaka would mean as much to them, but they don't look like the same team at all. So I don't think you can give too much credit just yet. Um, but, you know, I mean, I expected them to probably be in the top three or four seeds just based on Doc coming there. He's a good coach, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's found ways to make, you know, teams better wherever he's gone. So it doesn't surprise me at all that, um, you know, they're where they are, but I don't expect them to be the one seed. I will say though, with the Nets, I'm also looking at them like, I don't know that I expect them to be the one seed. Right. There's just, they're taking too many games off. Um, and so I just don't know that like long-term, they're gonna be able to have the record. Now you got four games missed now for COVID um, with Kevin Durant. So I don't know that they'll be the one seed either. But I, I would still kind of put my money on like a team like the Boston Celtics or the, the Milwaukee Bucks to take that one seed. I tell you, I was looking at the roster. What I do like about the, the 76ers quietly is like they've built up depth. So, you know, everybody knows about Simmons and Embiid and Tobias Harris, but they they traded for uh Dwight Howard. They got um Danny Green, Seth Curry. So they've they've got some shooters, they got some depth depth behind Joel Embiid. And like none of those guys are great players. But they're solid players who could come and give you minutes, give you points, give you energy. So I, I do like with the 76ers. And I don't know if they're a one seed, but I do seriously think they're in contention for a top three seed. Uh, to, my, to my point with like the Celtics still kind of being my my favorite for the one seed along with the with the Bucks is, you know, Kimball Walker is not even playing yet. You know, they're doing all of this with Tatum kind of dominating and Jalen Brown, you know, as, as the second scorer on that team. So. Kimball Walker, I think he got like a stem cell injection in his knee. He's supposed mm -hmm. to be out for like a couple of potentially months, I think. 
So um, I still just don't think that um, the 76ers will finish as the one seed. But to your point, I do like the the, the depth that they added. To, you know, you got a shooter in Curry. And, and Doc keeps stressing that he doesn't need um, – he doesn't need Ben Simmons to become a three-point shooter. So I think that frees up Ben Simmons to just be good at what you're good at. Right. We, we we've added the, you know, a, a Seth Curry to, to be our shooter. And we just want you to, you know, facilitate and, and, you know, get the looks that you can get the, the mid-range jumpers and post-ups and stuff like that. Yeah. I like him a lot. Um, let's go to the Western conference. You know, all the talk has been Clippers, Lakers, you know, hold battle. On, hold on, hold on. We just jump into the Western conference. Can we, can the New York Knickerbockers get some Stop recognition? It. Can Julius Randle, who's Stop. almost averaging a triple-double, Julius Randle, who is what Pelicans fans want Zion <laughs> Williamson to be, can we give him some recognition? We come on here all the time, my Knicks get trashed, and I just think they, they need to, it, needs, it needs to be said. At 4-3, and three, this man's averaging 22-11-7, like the Knicks are balling. Who, who they beat? That's what I want to <laughs> Not important. Yeah, right. The Hornets three times. Uh, on to the West. Listen, battle with LA. But but quiet is kept. CP3 went to, to the Suns. You know, he wins wherever he goes. We got our, our, our old coach from the Pelicans, Monty Williams, stating the ship over there. Devin Booker is becoming an elite scorer. They tied for first in the Western Conference with, with the Lakers and the Clippers. What's your thoughts on just where they are as a team, do you see them being a top four seed? Listen, I mean, we talked about it off the podcast. Realistically speaking, like CP3 just – he finds a way to get it done wherever yeah. he goes. And so I thought playoffs for sure, but never did I think like after the first week and a half, two weeks of the season that they'd be the – and I say two weeks, probably almost three weeks now. Um, did I think that they'd be the number one seed? I think right. by the end of tonight, they'll probably be down to maybe about the three. Um, I think the Lakers are sliding the first. I think the Clippers will probably have a hold on second because the Clippers just beat them head to head and then the Suns will be the three. Right. Um, but I looking at the standings right now, the thing that kind of confuses me is Denver. Like they're playing like they kind of got a hangover. They're they're three and four right now. The Mavericks are three and four, and that's where you know you start to wonder will the Phoenix Suns be seated above those types of teams in the in the NBA playoffs or you know just long term in the seating. And I think a lot of those teams are having hangovers. You know, like you right. look at the the Nuggets, they had two, you know, down three one comeback and win the series uh, in a playoff. So they went really deep, and and they're just not used to that grind. Like that's the first time Jokic and and Murray made it that far and then had such a quick turnaround and mentally that's what makes LeBron a step above everybody right like mentally he's able to to refocus reshift uh and get back to it and I think for them that's a tougher task and I right. think it's showing early on and you know probably heartbroken right like went right. further than you expected to go you're young and now you got to rebound off of that lose a couple of key pieces in free right. agency and you know to be honest like I think that there's some expectation that Michael Porter Jr. would make a jump to you know another right. level. Yeah, to be that third player. Uh-huh. Hasn't really happened at this point. And you're seeing teams like the Lakers who they added depth in the offseason, right? So they added scores in Montrez Harrell and Schroeder to take some of the load off of LeBron and it's working, right? Like those guys are giving you, they're jumping in and giving you 15 to 20 a night. And to be honest, I said this off the podcast to you, I feel like they're taking more of a load off of Anthony Davis than they are LeBron. 
Right. LeBron's still giving you 25 and 10 every night. It's Anthony Davis who's had like multiple 15, 17 point games and stuff like that. And Montrez Harrell, you know, making up for, for what he's not doing. So they, those, the Lakers put themselves in a situation where they can reduce their star players' minutes and still win basketball games. I think that's yeah. one of the differences you're seeing right now. AD, like my son, bro, he like on Christmas vacation. <laughs> so he still ain't showed up. <laughs> but look, I want to go back to Phoenix because we had an issue uh, the other night. You know, Paul George, again, at the center of, you know, all, all the foolishness. My man, Devin Booker, everybody see his mouth moving. He calls Paul George soft-ass nigga. What's going on, bro? Why PG-13 can't get no respect for nobody, man? Can't get no respect because he hit the side of the backboard and then called out Doc Rivers. He can't get no respect because he messed over Doc Rivers' wife, then got the man fired. Like, and Doc Rivers, as we're seeing, right, like he's doing right by the guys in in, in uh, Philly. He had a contingent of players who swore by him in Boston, guys who are considered to be legends. Paul Pierce, KG, still have the ears of other players in the league. Matter of fact, there's a like a, a documentary about competition on Netflix where Doc Rivers is featured in there just a, about how he used like this old South African chant to to unify his players. Like he's considered a legendary coach. Like you don't attack a legendary coach and then just shit be all good after it. So right. Paul George is getting the attacks that comes with attacking a legendary coach. Paul Paul George lost all this clout. Light skinned dudes calling him soft. <laughs> I mean, you six seven years older than the dude. You about four or five inches taller, and he's just hollering at you from across the court. No man. respect. No respect. No none. respect. Uh, last last uh big topic I want to talk about surprises. You know, we got a we got a little uh group chat or whatever, and and you and a couple other guys are always on me about the 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 Warriors. You know, Steph. Was was you know kicking everybody while they were down when he had Durant, Clay healthy. Uh, Steve Kerr ain't the coach nobody thinks he is because he he took Mark Jackson team to the finals. My man Steph dropped sixty two. They looking good. They on the two game winning streak. Draymond is healthy. Got the defense playing solid. You know w- w- what you think? I don't think that's gonna last. I mean, I think that <laughs> if you relying on a thirty two year old Steph Curry to <laughs> drop sixty two, like. It's not going to happen every night. You know what I mean? Um, I give them credit because it was a, a back-to-back against the Blazers, and, and they won the second game. Um, and then they beat the Kings, who are, you know, I think three and four at this point. But let's see what happens when they play the Clippers. Um, I think that game is what, tomorrow night? Yeah. Um, yeah, tomorrow night at 10 p.m. That's going to tell me, you know, with, with Paul George, with a full healthy healthy Clippers roster, that's going to tell me that's going to be a measuring stick for me of where the Golden State Warriors are like playing another good team at their best. You know how to how to two stack up. Man, look, that's all we got for NBA. But I, quickly, before we move on, the Nets, they're struggling. They, they started three and four in the season. They won the night. I think they're four and four. But KD is out four games due to COVID tracing. Uh, he's got to sit out the next seven days. So he's going to miss four games. What's your thoughts on, on, on where the Nets are? Like. It seems like between KD and Kyrie, between COVID, injury, load management, this is not going to be the regular season people expected. I think people expected them to come out guns a-blazing because they both missed so much of last season. But it looks like they're taking it kind of easing into it, and they're kind of taking it lightly, uh, at least the beginning of the regular season. I mean, I think this is where you also have to factor in that they got a, a coach who's never coached before. So <laughs> you got, I'm not you know throwing shade. I'm just saying like you got a bunch of people feeling their way around a dark room. 
And, you know, at some point they might find a light switch and switch it on. You know, if that happens, you know, God help us all. Right. We're in probably for a, a, a great run by that team and an NBA finals appearance. But for right now, I still feel like they're trying to figure all that stuff out. And I think one of our concerns in the offseason was like how much control those dudes would have. And right. so you got them deciding what nights they want to take off. OK, fine. But please don't go get exposed to COVID when I give you the night off. Now you got four more games off, and all of a sudden I could find myself behind the eight ball at, with a record of like three and seven, three and eight. Now, luckily, not luckily, but they they beat um, Utah tonight because uh, Shaquille O'Neal's boy Rudy Gobert got dominated by uh, Jared Allen, had 19 points and 18 rebounds on him. Um, so you sound like Shaq. Listen. I ain't gonna throw shade and follow it up with shade. <laughs> Listen, I mean Rudy Gobert. I, I, my shade was not towards Steve Nash. All the shade to Rudy Gobert, who only had 11 points. Like you can't be having a 205 million dollar contract and let you know some no name 22 year old, well, no name to this point in his career, dominate you like that. So I mean, but if the if Kyrie can ball, Jared Allen shows up, you know, and Karis uh, Levert gave him 25, they can still beat other people. Personally, I don't think they should be beating a. Uh, a Western Conference playoff team like that without KD, but if they if they're able to do that, they'll stay in the picture. They'll stay top three in the East. R- real um, quick, bro, tell us what Shaq says. So Shaq comes out and basically says like that Rudy Gobert gives all hope to young kids who can't really score but could play <laughs> great defense because he's like, in what other league can you get a two hundred million dollar contract averaging eleven points a game? He said no shade before he said it, but then he doubled down and got, jumped on his Instagram, posted a picture of like him dunking on Rudy Gobert and the caption said, I would have had 45 and 16 with 10 missed free throws through three quarters. And he would have had 11 points and four rebounds and fouled out through three quarters. I'm a gangster basically. And Rudy Gobert is like, I'm not going to respond to older players. Like there should be love, not hate sort of thing. You know, it was a very hateful comment by Shaq. Right, came, right. It came out of nowhere, to be quite honest. It is not Sound the like, first time he's done that. You know what I'm saying? Sound like a hating ass uncle. Right. Like he 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 tried to ruin <laughs> JaVel McGee's career with right. Shaq and the Fool. So um, but then what does Rudy Gobert do? But tonight follow it up by getting dominated by Jared Allen. And my thing with Shaq is like nobody hating on you getting money being an average ass analyst. <laughs> Clearly outshined by Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley every night. And probably making both more than both of the asses combined, man. <laughs> Down, sit, sit down somewhere, Shaq. Uh, let's move on by college football. We had the, the college football semifinals. And, and as expected, Bama blast Notre Dame, right? Like, they blew them out the water. Nobody had any expectations uh, with Notre Dame coming off the the, the embarrassment lo- the embarrassing loss to Clemson. Not so much your thoughts on the game because it wasn't much of a game, but do you think that gave any credence to those who wanted to see a Cincinnati, a Coastal Carolina, like uh, some other team with that fourth spot? No, not even Florida and Texas A&M, right? Like Florida got embarrassed by Oklahoma 55 to 20. Texas A&M barely beat the University of North Carolina, a team that got, you know, knocked out by Florida State during the regular season. So I don't think any of those teams – and, you know, again, Texas A&M got smashed by Bama in the regular season. So I think Notre Dame was right where they belonged as the fourth-seeded team, and Alabama I think is just that much better than everybody else, quite simply. Well, yeah, they are. I think they're going to – I think they're going to, you know, beat Ohio State too, to be honest. But we're going to talk about that later without picking them. Um, Clemson-Ohio State. This was kind of the big college football game. Everybody wanted to see the rematch. Told your ass. I told your ass it was going to happen. Man, whatever. Ohio State came came with a vengeance. You know, Dapple just came to this uh, overly confident, cocky for no reason, bro. Just ranking them people 11th, man. But but here's my thing, right? 
we also LSU dominate Clemson last year national championship. Now you see Ohio State dominate Clemson in a semifinal. Like, are we starting to see this is the second consecutive college football playoff game in which Clemson not only lost, but lost handedly. Are we starting to see the fall of Clemson? Not, not so much like, you know, an average team six and seven or seven and six, nothing like that, but like just their fall from, from being top two dominant program in the country. Listen, how, how quickly for, how we forget, you know, there was a thing called Clemsoning, like <laughs> not that long ago. I remember that. Right. It was about blowing big leads. And when you look at like bowl game performances and teams that have given up, I think, I don't even know this is bowl game performances. I think the stat was like teams that have given up over 600 yards of offense. Like Clemson is in the top five, three times or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so defense for a while wasn't necessarily a strong suit. Blowing big leads was something that Dabo was known for. And I think that what, caused their ascendance was just a couple of factors one getting transcendent quarterbacks and deshaun watson and trevor lawrence back to back um and then the other thing being the ability to secure their coordinators for years um at a time in an era where everybody else is losing their coordinated coordinators to head coaching jobs and i think that with these articles that came out about the sign stealing from clemson i think all of college football at this point is on notice that you got to huddle with them and mix up your signals, um, send in wide receivers with the play calls like old school. You can't necessarily do as much tempo. And then that throws uh, that throws Brent Venables in that defense off. Yep. And so I think that we're seeing that Tony Elliott uh, was out with COVID. I personally believe that that doesn't really matter, that he probably still had an impact on the play call. And look, the first 20 plays are usually scripted. Um I would think that he would still have had access to communication with people, but some people blame that for, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence and the offense's performance, but listen, they gave up, what was it? 49 points. So yep. let's not, let's not just blame, you know, <laughs> right. play accountability. I personally do think that I'm not going to say their time is up because the ACC is so bad right now. Florida state is so uncompetitive. Miami's so uncompetitive. Virginia tech so uncompetitive. They're still going to win that conference, but the way like a team like Bama looks right now, the way Ohio State is playing, I don't know that we're going to see Clemson on that level for you know the next few years. I think yeah. DJ, uh, the, the the quarterback coming forward, DJ Ulalule, mm -hmm. um, he's going to be a talent. But I still just think like if if Brent Venables is truly exposed. Um, I, I don't think that Clemson's necessarily going to be the national title threat that they've been over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, right? And they've had some transcendent talent like Deshaun Watson just won the league's passing title for most passing yards in the NFL this year. Like this dude put a Clemson team on his back to win it, the national championship. Right. That and, game was all him. Yeah. Then you have uh, Trevor Lawrence, who's going to be the, the number one pick hands down uh, for the last three years. And, and you had this great defensive line. You had T Higgins, you had uh, Travis Etienne, you know, all these dudes are, are going first, second round draft picks. It's hard to continue to continuously replace these guys. And that secondary looks super weak for Clemson. And I'm not sure they've done anything to, to improve it going forward. Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about this off the pod when we were talking to Darren. But, you know, that defensive line was also transcendent during that national mm -hmm. championship run. And then once those guys graduated, now all of a sudden you're not able to play on the level of a, a right. SEC opponent potentially or even Ohio State. And uh, the other thing I want to talk about is Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. Like we've we've uh, 
said all season long, he's the hands down number one pick, you know, it was tanking for Trevor, but I've said this all year and I'm still like coming off of this loss. This is the second time in, in the two biggest games of his career since the, the Alabama championship game win, where he struggled. He looked average. I didn't see him make any, we watched the game together. I didn't see, I didn't feel like he made a lot of NFL throws into tight windows um, he doesn't look extremely athletic in the pocket in terms of like getting out of a pass rush. Like Clemson's offensive line couldn't handle Ohio State defensive line. And once he gets a, a hit of steam, he's moving, but he doesn't look like he's agile or quick in a pocket to to spin away from a from a sack. Um LSU held him to under 50% passing in a championship game. So in, in a the two biggest games the last two years, he's looked extremely average against not, you know, I wouldn't consider by great defenses. Or, or in the last 10 years of college football. Yeah, I mean, and even in the ACC, like some of those games, those opponents were so weak that he was sitting down, you know, in the third quarter and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So while, you know, he's going to get drafted one overall because, I, you know, people were calling him the greatest high school prospect ever. Oh, right. you know, he's the next John Elway. He's been crowned for so long that I think we've all made assumptions for a long time. I think he's one of those guys that's going to be important to like – watch a lot of pre-draft coverage and see what the scouts say about him just to know if in his workouts, he lives up to everything that people feel they've seen on film over the years. Right. right. Because exactly. when you start having all the, you know, private workouts and the scouts, like these are the same people who told us that Mahomes was going to be a transcendent talent when the rest of us had only seen him, you know, in some seemingly meaningless Texas tech games. And we couldn't necessarily figure out with our eyes, whether or not this was transcendent or it was just this wide open big 12 football where people put up 70 points from time to time. Right. Um, Meanwhile, he was outshined by Justin Fields who, who looked like he played with some crack ribs. I mean, we right. saw couldn't even ride the bike in a second quarter. There were two tight pass touchdown passes to the tight end that Justin Fields threw where the window was so small that I was just thinking to myself, I've watched so much Trevor Lawrence football and I haven't seen a play where I'm like, damn, that throw, you know, that's an NFL throw. That's a throw right. that, like, not just an NFL throw, but, like, something that I, I would only expect a pro bowler to make. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So many of Trevor Lawrence's windows are, are are big when he completes passes because of the way that offense is run. And a lot of people had said the same thing about Justin Fields coming into this game. One read quarterback, doesn't have to go through the progression, throws into wide open windows, and then all of a sudden in this game – he throws six touchdown passes and he's making these throws and these plays where it's like, okay, this kid is, he is who we thought he was when he signed with, you know, Georgia coming out. And he showed elite arm strength to me. Like we saw him make a 65 yard throw in the air. Right. Uh, for one of the, I think it was like the last touchdown, maybe or second. After, right. So after he potentially, what we know at least he got an injection or two into his ribs before, <laughs> right. before making that play. No confirmation on whether or not he cracked the rib, but he definitely had hurt it enough that he had to get a, a cortisone shot in his rib. Uh, it's something. If you can't ride a bike, something wrong. Before. Uh, not going into the uh, national championship game, there's kind of been rumors on social media that, you know, there's some COVID issues with, with Ohio State that's potentially going to move the game back. Uh, and Nick Saban's daughter comes out and tweets that basically Ohio, saying Ohio State is using COVID as an excuse to help Justin Fields get better, uh, get more time to heal. That tweet has since been deleted, as well as her Twitter account. <laughs> um, so, and, and as far as we know, nothing has been confirmed by, by national media, right? No, mm -hmm. So that, that all seems to be a rumor. Um but yeah, I mean, social media is a buzz, though. Like, I oftentimes I'm doing the the Blitz with Robin quiz Twitter 
Chris Twitter page. And all night I've been seeing like these tweets about like, wait till this news breaks. Uh, this is going to rock the college football landscape, you know, kind of just stuff right. that like is hinting at like, let's see how this plays out. So, right. to, so to speak, and, but nobody's made any confirmations. Now you got Nick Saber's daughter. Listen, delay the game as long as you need to delay the game. Ain't nobody trying to sit and watch a team that I already thought was going to probably lose by two touchdowns um, play without any of their star players. Yeah, I agree. Like, I want to see these guys have an actual shot. Give me a competitive game. That's just my perspective. Realistically speaking, oftentimes the bowl games are far out back in the day anyway, 30 days. So if you got to give them two weeks in between playoff game and national championship, I have no problem with that. Definitely. Um, last thing real quick. You, listen, you already blessed them with the Big Ten championship when they shouldn't have got that. Right. I mean, so you might as well bless them with a healthy, you know, team in the national championship. Right. You've already showed favorites. So right. I mean, you already told us this is about ratings and getting the best two teams on the field to play the best possible game. So let's let's not quit now. Um Heisman winner, Devontae Smith, wide receiver from Alabama out of Amit, Louisiana, shunned LSU. Uh, he wins the Heisman, the first wide receiver. Looks like he made the right decision. <laughs> right? In damn near 20 years since Desmond Howard did it in 1991. I think he's only the fourth receiver, I believe, uh, to, to win the Heisman. He had 1,641 yards, 20 touchdowns. He's tied with Jamar Chase for, for the SEC record in a single season, so he'll probably break that. He's also got, I think, the SEC career yardage in, in a in – uh, that's attainable if he has a good game against uh, Ohio State. Did he deserve it? You think he was the best player in the country this year? I mean, I think I said this before in the pod. Like, I think this was Trevor Lawrence's Heisman to lose. I think when he got COVID, he lost it. Yeah. Um, I think Justin Fields was never in the running for it because he was only going to have a six-game season. And then I right. think between, like, Mac Jones and, and Kyle Trask, I think we talked about this off the pod with Darren, just that I don't think college football viewed either one of them as, like, transcendent college football quarterbacks that deserve to have the Heisman, right? And this is a media voted award. And so I think the media view both of them as people who just had, uh, you know, a ton of talent at the skill positions on their rosters and that they were really a function of that. So I think that giving the award to one of the talented players at the skill positions from one of those schools was their way of demonstrating that, you know, they don't view Mac Jones and Kyle Trask as like transcendent talents at the quarterback position. But to your point, we've made several times, you know, Jamar Chase had a better season than Devontae Smith. So it's kind of hard. And you got to factor in like realistically Jalen Waddle gets hurt, which allows Devontae Smith to be in a situation to have to put up these numbers. Right. Right. Otherwise, like we're not even having this conversation. Yeah. And I think like, like with Chase last year, Burrow just had a transcendent year. And although um, Alabama's quarterback, Mac Jones, um, Mac Jones, you know, had a good man, year. You, you, you get names over there worse than me. I'm the I one. I know, that's, man. I'm that's like crazy. Four bro. hours of sleep over the last two nights. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, Mac Jones had a good year. It wasn't transcendent. Um, Kyle Trask, I think, probably put up better or, or just as good of numbers. So it didn't stand out from anybody. If a quarterback was going to get it, they really wanted to give it to Trevor Lawrence. And I would say Justin Fields would have been a close second because he was at the ceremony last year. So I, I think this was just a culmination in a shortened season. The quarterbacks couldn't put up transcendent numbers. But Devontae uh, Smith, even though I said Jamar Chase had a better year, he's put up comparable numbers in – like less three or four games. less games. Right. So I think it kind of just all fell into place. And uh, 
and, and worked out for him. So congratulations to Devontae Smith, Louisiana and, uh, native. You know, he shouted out his barber who used to bring him to a bunch of um of like I guess some of the summer football camps yeah. and stuff like that. I, I love to see uh, you know, every black man has a special relationship with a barber. I guess those of us with hair, that is anyway. Right. Uh, I don't. I have a special relationship with, with, with uh, Gillette. Gillette, you know what I mean? Fusion, you heard me? Shout out to Gillette. Give us a, uh, you know, ad. But uh, no, and, and I, I follow recruiting, you know, seriously. And a lot of, it was a lot of accusations and insinuations back when he was coming out that Alabama had gotten to his barber. So it's not uh, surprising for him to give. I heard the recruitment ran through the ball shop. If you Listen, know what I mean. next topic. So. You out here trying to expose the barber. This is, <laughs> LSU just, hate one strong, boy. I, I, I get the barber I'm a just, shout out for taking the kid to the camp. Now you want to uh, yeah. charge the kid with, charge the man with NCAA violations. A, a shout out and a payout, you know. Snitch. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's get to the NFL, man. That's, that's what, what it's all about. NFL going into the playoffs, but we had some crazy Week 17 storylines. First and foremost, it's been a talk of, of social media, the talk of all sports platforms. Doug Peterson benches Jalen Hurts down 17-14 going into the fourth quarter. Now, the, the reason this is big news is because Was- uh, Philadelphia is playing Washington, who if Washington wins, they in the playoffs. If they lose, however, the winner of the Giants-Cowboys game was going to go to the playoffs, and the Giants won. So all Giants fans... Uh, you know, wanted to see Philadelphia pull off that upset. Doug Peterson benches Hurts. The the backup quarterback, Sudfield, I think he's been on the team for about four years, comes in, throws an interception on the first drive. On a second drive, he fumbles the ball and basically fumbles the hopes of of all Giants fans going to the playoffs. Um, so first, what's your thought? Like, Peterson said he was trying to win. Nobody believes him. His own te- players don't believe him. What's your thoughts on just the benching? Well, he wasn't trying to win, but like I'm not one of these people who gives this story too much credence, right? Because all season long, everybody's been screaming about the Jets and the Jaguars being in a race for the number one pick to get Trevor Lawrence. And then everybody tried to shame the Jets for allowing Adam Gase to hold on to that job and then finish the season with two wins, thereby solidifying that the Jaguars would get the first pick in Trevor Lawrence and not the Jets. And everybody's basically you know, saying this is such so much like the New York Jets. Even when they have everything lined up perfectly, they blow it. So you can't say that out of one side of your mouth and then come out of the other side of your mouth and try to shame Peterson uh, for essentially benching, you know, his starting quarterback at that point in the fourth quarter in a close game in order to secure the number six pick. If he would have won the game, he would have ended up with the ninth pick. That's what was going on. Right. Um, it makes no sense for any other reason for him to have done that saying he wants to see what he has in Nate Sudfield. Like right. you don't, you don't know who your start is going to be dude to start the next season. You need to see what you have in Jalen hurts before, because right before the game, uh, Carson Wentz came out and demanded a trade. So it would seem that, you know, you're in for a rocky off season with Carson Wentz. So you need to be damn sure that you are ready to start Jalen hurts come week one of next season. And I don't think they're there. That's the only way that it would make any sense for you to put Nate Sudfeld in unless it's the draft issue. So I think it's the draft issue. I think that the real egg on the face is for the NFL because they put this game on Sunday night thinking it was going to be the determinative game for the last playoff spot. It was going to get great views, great ratings. And then basically Doug Peterson said, screw you, NFL. I'm going with my own best interest, which is to get this six pick um, to that point. 
Howie Roseman drafted Jalen Rager in the draft last year, who essentially had no um, impact on them this season. So he did need the sixth pick and not the ninth pick because maybe he's a good cap guy, but maybe the talent evaluation going on in the Philadelphia Eagles draft room. I don't know if it's him or uh, who makes the final call on the pick, maybe Peterson, but they were wrong. Right. And so they probably do need to move up them three spots to, to try to be right this time. Yeah. I think it was just like, don't lie. Don't say you're trying to win a game. Um, and maybe you should tell your team before the game. And me, right. And I think the fact like the Miles Sanders who didn't play came out and said nobody on the team agreed with benching the Eagles. I just think you do a disservice. And, and now it becomes an issue of to your team. Like it's a disservice to your team who's trying like those dudes trying to win. They're playing for incentives, different things, pride. And I, I think what, what starts to become the dichotomy of the situations, like you said, right, like three picks in the top 10. That's a huge deal. Nine to six. But when you got dudes playing for money and, and respect and pride, now you're talking about, you know, fracturing your relationship as a coach. Like you lose the respect of those players um, just to move up three spots. So so how, how like what is it worth for those three spots? Because and, now, you know, you, you fracture a lot of respect and relationships, I think. And Jason Kelsey had just given that whole speech about effort and we play this game to win and he's kind of the heart and soul of your offensive line and your offense for that matter the veteran on the squad and then it's you just do something that flies in the face of everything he said in the post-game press conference just a few weeks ago yeah because it's like well why you bench Wentz for Hurts if you don't you don't care I knew there was some type of issue when it was 17-14 and they went for it on fourth down um, from the five-yard line instead of kicking the field goal to just tie the game, you know, in, in, in a close game. And then they come out with Sudfield like the next series, basically. And, and and one last thing on this, I want Joe Judge came out today, head coach of the Giants, and said that, you know, he would never disrespect the game as a, as a head coach, kind of basically taking a shot at uh, Philly for what they did. Um, I want to say this, Joe Judge, your team won six games, okay? Nobody cares about you disrespecting or respecting the game, sir. You won six games. You don't deserve to go to playoffs at six right. and ten. I don't give a damn. Nobody in the playoffs. NFC East has any room to complain about anything. <laughs> right. Like, I personally don't think y'all should. Any of y'all should be in the playoffs. Exactly. I think that's the tragedy. And, and they damn sure shouldn't have a home field game. Right. Right. I think that's the tragedy in this is that like y'all just gave nothing the entire <laughs> season and the nerve of you all to come out here now and fight and argue uh, across the NFC about who should have been. You know. Or, or how the, this outcome should have You know what's out. disrespectful to the game? A six-goddamn-win team in the playoffs. That's exactly. Exactly. Which uh, home field is in? <laughs> right. I mean, because the tragedy of the entire situation, really, as a Saints fan, is that they've created this new rule to only give the first-round team a, the, the number one seed a bye, right. and the two-team actually has to play a game now. And in reality, the five-seed Tampa Bay Buccaneers are essentially getting a first-round bye. Shit's crazy, man. Uh Let's go to uh, the next topic, and and it's really I, I really got a lot of thoughts on this. The coaching carousel, right? They call the Monday after the after week seventeen. They call it Black Friday, uh, Black Monday, because that's the day all the coaches get fired. So uh, this Black Monday, Adam Gase, uh, Jets record nine and twenty three was canned. Doug Marone, Jacksonville head coach, career record with Jacksonville twenty five and forty four. Anthony Lynn was the third coach that was let go. Relieved of his duties, Los Angeles Chargers. They were 33. He was 33 and 31 as the head coach of the Chargers. I got a lot of feelings on this, Rob, but I'm, I'm gonna let you go first. While I, while I mean, I, I don't have much to thoughts. say, honestly. I feel like all three firings are un, were understandable. Obviously, what? I think some 
question mark comes with Anthony Lynn's uh, firing. Um, more so for me because of the injuries that he's um, had on his his roster. I, the, I don't necessarily – that 79 record, I think what they win like the last two or three games. The last um, four. Last four to finish 79. Yep. So that's why I don't give a – a whole bunch of credence to the to his overall final record of 33 and 31 because he was out of playoff contention a long time ago and he made some head scratching decisions questionable clock management decisions that led to you know that prior three and nine record or whatever it was but the only reason i think that he should have gotten one more season was just because of the injuries he, he just you know over the, the last couple of years, I think they said he's had more games missed by starters than any other coach in, in football. And so to me, that's a given one more year, especially with the rookie quarterback um, who he's had a lot of success with. I mean, you have to give him some credit um, for the success that, that Herbert has had. But I also understood him fi being fired just because of the questionable game day decisions he's made over the last couple of seasons. Here, here's my issue with the whole firing of Anthony Lynn and like, you know, I hate I I know nobody likes to go here, but it's it's back to race, right? It's back to black coaches, white coaches, and it's the dirty little secret of the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule was was built to give African American coaches, minority coaches, opportunities and in, into getting to interviews and rooms with majority or all white owners, pretty much. However, the thing that they don't talk about is the leash, the short leash that black coaches get once they get in these positions. So yes, it gives them opportunities, but it doesn't help them stay. And my issue with Anthony Lynn is like you mentioned, right? In four years, he went 33 and 31. Year two, he went 12 and four, went to the playoffs. You know what happened the following year, which was last year? They, they wouldn't pay Melvin Gordon and he missed the first 10 weeks of the season. So they had an average season last year. They, they, they missed the playoffs. Um, then they come into this season Derwin James, a top five safety in the league, is out. Um, Tyrod Taylor, the starting quarterback, gets is ruled out week two. Yeah. Ruled out week two because why? Because the medical staff gave him a shot and punctured his lung. So he lost his starting quarterback due to his own medical staff. Justin Herbert comes in and plays the next 15 games. It's top 10 in passing yards, top 10 in touchdowns for quarterbacks. Also, he loses Austin Eckler for six games. And despite all those losses and, and, and many more. And Mel Melvin Ingram, yeah. Melvin Ingram, I, yeah, Melvin Ingram was gone. Despite that, they had six losses by seven points or less. They went seven and nine this year, won the last four. They had six losses by seven points or less, and two of them were in overtime. In fact, they lost one in overtime against the Saints in a dome. So all with a rookie quarterback. So to me, a guy who has a winning record in four years, who led his team to seven and nine, four consecutive wins to end the season with a rookie quarterback, made progress over last season, had more wins this year than last year, with a quarterback that's getting better and 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 showed this year that he was the best quarterback of the draft that included Burrow and Tua. I thought he had a lot of momentum going for him, and, and this is not the first time, right? Jim Caldwell had a winning record in Detroit, went to playoffs two out of four years in a franchise that hasn't consistently gone to playoffs in the last twenty five years. Got rid of him. For Matt Patricia, he he wins less than twelve games his three year tenure. Um, so it's it's multiple instances of coaches, black coaches who are winning, have won more than they lost, and still haven't gotten the same amount of chances. With, with Doug Marone and Adam Gates, who had losing records in, in Jacksonville and in the Jets, respectively, that that was both of their second uh, second 
head coaching gig in the NFL. And guess what? At their previous stops, they had losing records. So that's my frustration with Anthony Lynn and, and being let go and, and given his record and, and where he had the team going uh, coming up on next year. Also, Lovey Smith, right? You, you're a Jameis fan. He improved by two games with Jameis as a rookie quarterback. They got rid of him. He still hasn't gotten a head coaching job since then. So it's just multiple uh, coaches, black coaches, who seem to have shorter leashes, even though they've had success. Um, that, and to your point with the injuries, Mike Pouncey, Trey Turner, there's Austin Eckler, Brian Bulaga, Chris Harris, Melvin Ingram, all, uh, of course, with Dor- Derwin James missing significant time. Um, but a lot of those names you just threw out are guys who are actually getting interviews right now. Um, I've seen, I've seen, um, you know, I Kim saw Caldwell. Caldwell. Yeah, I saw that today. Places. Yeah, Marvin Lewis actually interviewed some places. This is where the Rooney Rule comes into play because you never know if guys are just getting interviews because they, you know, are filling their quota or if they're Ooh. actually going to be considered. Right, because Caldwell been out for three years. Right, Lovey Smith. Uh, I heard his name come up. Um, Gus Bradley, you know, not an African American coach, but a guy whose name I heard come up. You know, I think he's somebody who's considered to be responsible for a lot of what you saw from, I think that Seattle defense and then the Chargers defense when it was considered to be dominant. So that would be interesting. Also, you got, I think it was Pep Hamilton who was the quarterback coach um, for the Chargers. Somebody who said to be potentially considered now for, who's an African-American to be considered possibly for a uh, head coaching job. So uh, I said my spiel. Um, also, Jason Wait, Garrett, I also heard, I think, interview Come for that Chargers job. So that would be an interesting parent of Jason that's Garrett. A, with that's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> Just telling you what they said. Because the Giants offense looking the Giants, this Because the Giants just, you know, beat his old team in the yeah. Cowboys. They looked explosive in that 6-10 and 10 campaign. That's the shit is a joke, man. <laughs> uh, end of the season awards, right? We all know all the awards are based on regular season play. So I want to kind of go through – uh, get your thoughts on uh, kind of debate back and forth who we thought. So league MVP, who you got? League MVP, I got to go with A-Rod. Um, just the, just the, you know what? Nah, I'm going with Derrick Henry. I'm going with Derrick Henry for the, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to go with Derrick Henry for the league MVP um, because the 2,000 yards to me is just an amazing feat. I'll get into it a little bit later in the in the winners, but the 2,000 yards, I want to say eight other players have done it. Um, and I think of the eight who have done it, four have won the uh, league MVP. Mm-hmm. Simpson, Sanders, Davis, Peterson. Yeah, so this would be the eighth time he'd be the fifth player to be the um, league MVP. I think – all but one were the offensive MVP. Um, and I think it's just not he's, – he's got 17 touchdowns also, right? Yep. And he carried that team, in my opinion, to um, a divisional championship. And to be honest, like, I argue that he's responsible for the Ryan Tannehill success. Some people would just say, oh, he looks so much better than he looked in the Dolphins. It must have been that Adam Gates was bad. No, I think it's Derrick Henry, right, um, that makes him – that makes that offense run. And I don't think Derrick Henry gets uh, enough ca- uh, credit for that. So I would say that he's the most valuable player in the league. I, I, um, can't, I can't believe, bro, you, you did that to me. I had all my arguments ready for Derrick Henry and you swapped. <laughs> I, I will add, because I, I, I do think Derrick Henry deserves it, because in, in, a, in a passing league, this season we only had nine 100-yard rushers. And one of them was a quarterback, Lamar Jackson. So really, you only had eight running backs that rushed for a thousand yards. And 
You say that 100 yard rushes, you mean nine? I'm, t- I'm sorry, 1,000 1, 1, yard rushing. Yeah. And, and, and of the eight running backs, four of them had less than 1,100 yards. So four of them just barely broke the 1,000 yard mark. Um, so, you know, I, I just think in a, in a league where it's built for passing, you got an old school running back that, that basically the team puts the game on his shoulders offensively. And, 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 and this year, the defense was average. He's not going to get it because of Tannehill's success and because I believe they finished the season with two 1,000-yard receivers. The argument also is that John Smith had a good year. So you got three targets, a good passing game. But I think what we're saying is that he is the the cog in the wheel that makes all that other stuff. Right. Tannehill, most of his completions come off play action. So, yeah, he has 1,000 yards, but that's all based on the back of of Derrick Henry. But I I will admit, you know, Aaron Rodgers at 36 – uh, with them drafted a quarterback in the first round, he really played pissed off and, and showed you why he's still an elite quarterback, um, you know, and, and can play up there with the Patrick Mahomes and the Deshaun Watson. He threw for 4,300 yards, 48 touchdowns, and five interceptions. So, I mean, he was elite. And then you still got Patty Mahomes up there with 47, almost 4,800 yards passing, 38 touchdowns, and six interceptions. But, you know, much like the Heisman Trophy, the league MVP is geared toward quarterbacks, right? It's a quarterback-driven league, a passing league, and and, and so Rodgers will win it. But I, I definitely wouldn't be mad at a co-MVP, cool something like they did when Barry Sanders rushed for 2,000. He was given co-MVP cool with Brett Favre. So I, I wouldn't be mad at that because I, I believe Derrick Henry deserves more than consideration. I, just, I think he deserves a piece of that trophy. Right, and I, and, you know, I think it's, it's just who gets offensive MVP versus um... – league MVP and I would go Aaron Rodgers offensive MVP with those 48 touchdowns and and um Derrick Henry for league MVP I think it's going to happen in actuality vice versa I think they're going to give Aaron Rodgers the league MVP and Derrick Henry will get the offensive MVP uh offensive player of the year I like you you said you know Henry I like Travis Kelsey he was second in the league of all pass catches with 1,400, 1,400 receiving yards. Stephon Diggs led the, had, had a great season, led the league with 127 receptions. But Kelsey, as a tight end on a team with Tyree Kill and, and the weapons that Kansas City has in a way Mahomes spreads that ball around, I, I think he had an awesome year. Um, I, I would say I would go Kelsey, um, who also had 11 touchdowns. So yeah. just, you know. I'm going Aaron Rodgers here. And like you pointed out, the interesting thing is like, they, you know, they drafted a quarterback with that first round pick with T. Higgins still available. T. Higgins, I think, ended up going 33rd to the to the Bengals, which I guess was in the first pick in the second round yep. and had like 900 yards receiving six touchdowns. And that guy could have been lined up opposite Devontae Adams. So, you know, everything that we saw from Aaron Rodgers, like you said, at that age with the numbers he put up and legitimately just creating second receivers from week to week, um, I think he deserves the offensive player of the year award uh defensive player of the year who you got listen i think you know it's probably going to go to you know one of the, your your high sack guys but i'm sticking with Xavier howard i've talked about him on a lot on, on previous podcasts and i just i think that as we saw on sunday like for the most part the dolphins defense is what made that team run when they're not working you know you can't lean on the offense to to engage in any you know high scoring uh, battles. 
And you're talking about a guy who ultimately finished the season with 10 interceptions. I gave the numbers on a previous podcast about how many guys have finished the, the you know season with double-digit interceptions. I think we said the last time that happened was Antonio Cromartie. So, you know, while T.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, you're talking about guys with 13 to 15 sacks or whatever. Um, as we pointed out, Hendrickson did that in spot duty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the more amazing feat is that Xavier Howard had 10 interceptions. I think he deserves to be the defensive player of the year. Yeah, that's that's hard to argue, especially this day and age where, you know, DBs don't catch really well. We Mm -hmm. we see a lot of cornerbacks drop a lot of interceptions. I'm gonna go with Watt. I know it's cliche. He led the league in sacks with 15. He played in 15 games, so I left one. I think he sat last week. He had 26 tackles for losses in a Pittsburgh team that dominated the first 12. Three what three months of the season, twelve games, first twelve games of the season, they, you know, eleven games they were undefeated. So uh, I think he was the best player on defense on the best team in the league for the first ten to twelve weeks, um, three quarters of the season. Also, they lost a lot of talent. They lost Bud Dupree. They, they lost another linebacker in his his play. He stayed consistent. He continued to put pressure on the quarterback. He's not a high tackle guy. Um, and Aaron Donald, of course, with 13 and a half sacks, like is always there. He just the consistency he he shows at defensive tackle position is amazing to me. But uh, I'm gonna go with uh, TJ Watt. What a what about offensive rookie of the year? Yeah, I'm going Justin Jefferson here. I told you I liked him in the draft coming out. He basically did everything you know that you could have asked of him. He broke all Randy Moss's rookie records. He broke Anquan Bolden's rookie records for catches. I mean, he's you know the greatest receiver to come along as a rookie in a in a, in a minute. And I, I get that there'll be some calls for Justin. I'm sorry for Justin Herbert, but to me, again, I go down to what's the more impressive feat. And so I'm sticking with that theme with with Derrick Henry and with Xavier Howard. I think Justin Jefferson's numbers are more impressive. In today's NFL, we're seeing more and more rookie quarterbacks come out and throw for over 4,000 yards and close to 30 touchdowns just because the way the game is played, can't touch the receivers. Um, You know, passing offenses are, you know, just you're talking about people throwing 50 passes a game now, right? And the quarterback has the ball in their hands every play. Justin Jefferson came into an offense that already had Adam Thielen, already had a Dalvin Cook. So they had other places they could go with the ball. They had Irv Smith, that tight end, Kyle Rudolph, and he came in and, you know, asserted himself in that offense and became a dominant force. So I think he should be the off- uh, offensive rookie of the year. It's hard to argue with that. I'm an LSU fan. That's, that's my dog, Justin Jefferson, Destrahan product out of uh, the River Parishes. But Justin Herbert at the most important position uh, to play for fifth, to start 15 out of 16 games in a rookie year. Like I mentioned in the class with Tua and, and Joe Burrow, he was considered third on the list. He outshined them both. As well as you look at the, the the last couple greats, right? Patrick Mahomes, he didn't really play his first year. Lamar Jackson, both of those guys, MVPs, he didn't really play much his first year. You're talking about a guy week two who took the reins. Nothing was expected of him or that team. And he threw for 31 touchdowns and only 10 interceptions. He's sixth in the league in passing yards. He's top 10 in touchdowns. And, and like we mentioned, right, he didn't have his starting running back, Eckler, for six or seven games of the year. You know, they dealt with multiple injuries on defense. So there was a lot of pressure put on him to put up points. And he delivered every week outside of that that one uh, game against New England where they got blown out 45 nothing. Every week he consistently showed up and produced. And I, I'm admit, I didn't think he had it in him. So I, I give him a yeah, lot of we credit. We talked a lot of trash about that dude on the Yeah, we did. Okay. He's proved us super wrong. Yeah, I got I to take my hat off to him. Uh, defensive rookie of the year. 
Chase Young, next conversation. Yeah, I'm like, with you. I'm you with look you. at the Vegas spreads and whatnot, like it's not even close. I don't even think the the second and third options, I don't even think they're worthy of mentioning their name. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, but let me add that you hated on Chase Young. I think I predicted him. We can go back. I think I predicted him as my defensive rookie before the season started. And you said that you weren't sold on this dude, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. You thought Chase Young was just getting credit because he was the next defensive end out of Ohio State. I said, nah, this dude's a beast. He's an athlete, yada, yada, yada. You hate it. You were wrong. So I need to hear you say it. Chase Young, defensive rookie of the year. Let me hear you say he, it. He, no, he definitely is. He's <laughs> he's defensive rookie of the year for a losing team. Okay. <laughs> The four seed in the playoffs. <laughs> I'll say that. So put, put some respect on it. I'm name. not overly impressed, but uh, but I get a man his props. Let let's get to our winners. Man Robert. said he wants Tom Brady. He wants to see Tom Brady. Yeah, we gonna um, he gonna he gonna see him walk off the field in a blowout too. <laughs> Seven and a half sacks. Yeah. So my my first winner this week. Get through these real quick because we got a lot of games to talk about. Trey Sermon, running back from the Ohio State University. You know, we we didn't talk about him like we should have after the Big Ten Championship. For me, it was because it was against Northwestern. And I was like, right. who the hell cares? He went for 29 carries, 331 <laughs> yards, and two touchdowns. You know, and before that, I think he only had one other 100-yard game in a six-game season. Um, but this week, watching that Clemson game, so a team that you are supposed to at least respect on defense, somewhat 31 carries for 193 yards, a touchdown, four catches for 61 yards. Ooh. I just felt like he set the tempo. I felt like Justin Fields was dominant. But when he hurt his rib, I kept thinking like, oh, man, their offense might slow down and Clemson will crawl back in this game and Justin Fields might not be able to do anything. But at that point, Sermon took over. He allowed the team to jump on his back and only throw when they absolutely had to. For at least the first series or two after, Justin Fields couldn't throw at all. And I think they ran almost all the way down the field. And then Justin Fields, I think right before the half, threw one pass on the drive. And it was a touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone. But that was only made possible because after the injury, after uh, uh, Justin Fields gets rocked in the ribs, Trey Sermon puts the office in his back. My next, you know, winner is the guy we've already talked about, Derrick Henry, eighth player in NFL history to rush for 2,000 yards. Uh, he gets the rare triple crown this year, leading the NFL in carries rushing yards and rushing touchdowns that again is another reason why i think he should be the the league mvp like it's just unheard of um for somebody to do that he's the first to do it he's going to finish this year uh with his second straight rushing title another thing that's relatively unheard of i think with Damian thomason was the last person to do it there's this whole rumor that everybody falls off the cliff after 2000 yards so we'll have to see can he go three straight but right. to go from 1500 to 2000 to me is crazy um and then with his latest 200-yard game against the Texans this past week, he becomes the first player to rush for 300 for 200 yards in three straight games, right? Like he's just crushing the record books in an era when everybody's telling us that like you can go running back by committee and find running backs anywhere in the draft. So right. um, he's my second winner this week. No, definitely. Um, I like him. I like I, I like Derek Derek Henry a lot. I can't lie. Uh, my first winner, Bianca Smith. She's the hired by the Boston Red Sox and becomes the first black woman to coach professional baseball. She will be a minor league coach based at the team's training facility mm -hmm. in Fort Myers, Florida, uh, primarily working with position players. Previously, she was an assistant coach and hitting coordinator at Carroll University in Wisconsin uh, since 2018. And she also interned for the Rangers and the Reds in the um, baseball operations department. So I, I just think this is a, a, a huge thing, right? First, the Marlins, I believe, named the first female GM. And now 
uh, the Boston Red Sox are hiring not only a woman, but a black woman. And so I think it's just constantly, you know, breaking down those barriers has been broken for female coaches in football. And now baseball is finally starting to enter the picture. And, um, you know, the, Derek Jeter with the Marlins, his GM, she's Asian-American. So, you know, yes. it's diversity all across the board. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. You know, I, I like to see that. Um, my second winner is Leonard Floyd. Show me the money. Leonard Floyd earned $1.25 million incentive by sacking Cardinals backup quarterback Chris Streveler. Floyd entered the game with nine and a half sacks, needing 10 to reach his incentive, and he got it caused a fumble. I think the other storyline with that Rams game was that who the hell is Chris Stevler? We're starting to see in, in a league, you know, with, with star power at quarterback, the backups are a bunch of no-name guys. Um, but but a lot of love for Leonard Floyd for getting that incentive. Also, our boy Emmanuel Sanders got a $500,000 incentive getting eight catches. He needed six to get to 60. He needed eight catches, and he got it. So a lot of players. Brown, same thing. He needed a certain amount of catches. Yeah. In. Brady threw him three straight shovel pass to get his uh, two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, Tyler Lockett, Devontae Park, a lot of these guys, and I just like seeing a team and the players rallying around these players to get them incentive and celebrating with them. And, and you know, as frankly as a team, like you want to play for coaches and quarterbacks who who gonna try to help you get you know reach your incentive. So uh, it was a big week for a lot of players getting those incentives. So so much love to them. Uh, losers, Rob, who you got? First losers, this clown Dan Mullen. Uh, loses 55 to 20 in the cotton ball. I'm a Florida State fan, so it's easy for my hit a Florida coach. But uh, loses 55 20 in the cotton ball to Oklahoma with 16 players out, four skill position players. We talked about them in the previous pod. They might be first round picks. And, you know, Trask, not trash, as some people called him after that game, threw three first quarter picks. You know, they put Emory Jones in the game. And then after the game, you know, Dan Mullen is quoted as saying the last game, uh, the game in 2020 was the last team that we played uh, was the last game that we played. It was 11 days ago. You know, we didn't have to play this game. We were out there with our scout team, just all kinds of excuses, like the type of stuff that you would expect from a little kid playing a video game, not a division one, you know, coach of a top five program. Uh, so he's my first loser, uh, a straight up clown. We call him dopey Dan <laughs> over at Florida state. Um because he's always trying to identify with the players with his khakis and, and wearing blue and orange Jordans. And, and letting him kiss his wife on the lips. <laughs> right. That look blue and orange garbage Jordans. And, and to top it all off, then the fool, I believe, leaks his name as being considered for the Atlanta Falcons job. I hope the Falcons hire. Um, what? Yeah, they Dan have that. Yeah, Please. I hope they hire Dan Muller. Please. Be, be as bad as when they um, went with Louisville's head coach. But uh, my, my next loser, Mike McCarthy, much in the same vein, you know, if it weren't for the Doug Peterson situation, Mike McCarthy would be getting a lot of the hate this week, but because they didn't end up missing it by that loss and they didn't end up missing the playoffs by that loss, we don't talk about Mike McCarthy as bad. But first of all, he fails to go for a two-point conversion in an obvious situation in the first half. But then Dante Pettis catches a pass uh, that clearly hits the ground and it's being shown over and over again. He had enough time to challenge, uh, but he doesn't challenge. The Giants going to kick a long field goal, which I believe was 57 yards, would have been about 68 yards had he challenged this play. Um, and it gives them a four-point lead, which then requires them to go for a go-ahead touchdown instead of a go-ahead field goal. 
rest is history. Andy Dalton throws a pick in the red zone, but they wouldn't even been in that situation if Mike McCarthy did his job. And just the first of a of a lot of questionable decisions made during the course of the season. Andy Dalton was supposed to be the key to this team being prepared, even if Dak Prescott went down. And these dudes ended up six and ten. And I just think that with all the weapons they had, him supposed to be an offensive genius. You start to look at Aaron Rodgers like maybe he was right. Maybe Mike McCarthy is washed as as a coach. Right. I, I know one thing, Jerry Jones probably, you know, kicking himself for firing Jason Garrett. Yeah, he's hugging Michael him on, shaking his hand, hugging him before <laughs> the game because I think he realizes the error in his ways now. Yeah, I mean, like, you definitely didn't upgrade there. Um, my losers, real quick, Alvin Kamara. It hurts my heart to say this. Coming off his best performance as a pro, 150-plus rushing yards, six touchdowns, tying him to a modern-day record. This fool tests positive for COVID the next week, y'all. Uh prior to the game against the Panthers. Not only did he test positive, but due to, you know, COVID tracing, contact tracing, the whole running back room, Latavius Murray, the fullback, the running backs coach, all out for week 17 in a in a must-win game, right? A game where if Green Bay lost and Seattle won, we would be the number one seed. And if we lost and Seattle won this week, which Seattle did, we would drop to the three seed, you know, changing the whole trajectory and having to go on a road for a week two, uh, a divisional round playoff game. So in a game that meant everything, you know, and it wasn't that he got COVID, but it was the, how he got COVID. He's got pictures on social media with three females in a club, no mask. Uh, and not to say he definitely got it from there, but just the carelessness, you know, coming off the conversation we had with Dwayne Haskins, um, you know, not, not the same with the, the coach situation with Rivera, but just, the lack of a with self-awareness and, and just the, you know, lack of concern for your football team in a time where it matters the most. He could have possibly missed a playoff game had the Saints played on Saturday instead of Sunday. So so just the, the you know, lack of self-awareness, lack of, of care and concern for, for your contributions to the team and what not having you on a team means for, you know, our possible playoff hopes. Uh, just he's got to be my first loser. Second loser, Cleveland Browns. Yes, I know they made the playoffs for the first time in, since 2002, snapping the longest NFL playoff drought. Yes, you know, Baker Mayfield sealed, sealed the game. However, it was against all backups in Pittsburgh, mind you. But coming off of that, what happens, we find out today, head coach Devin Stefanski, two assistant coaches, and at least two players to date have tested positive, and all five of those people are out for this playoff game. The special teams uh, coordinator is going to step in his head, in, interim head coach for the game. So just in a week that should have been full of excitement for Cleveland, they got to go back to Pittsburgh, a, a division rival, and they got to do it without their head coach and some of their key players. So that's why the Browns are my loser, even when they win, they're losing. <laughs> uh, also, also uh, one of the ESPN headlines is two of them got caught drag racing uh, today as well. So. <laughs> Look, the rich get richer. Uh, and, and let's go to my favorite part. Uh, other other segment picks of the week right i made another move on rob i went four and one last week rob went three and two so now i'm 24 21 and three rob is 28 17 and three i'm creeping up on him y'all i'm creeping up on you're <laughs> picking bullshit. all six playoff yeah, you games. Keep adding all these games to the list to give yourself every chance let's go let's yeah, get this started. i'm trying to i'm trying to get the people some money man look uh first game let's start with the afc seven seed indianapolis coach at uh, Buffalo Bills. The Bills are six and a half point favorites. Who you got here? I'm going with with Buffalo here. Um, you know, Indianapolis, I think they could have had a favorable matchup um, maybe had they got the division um, and were playing Baltimore, but I don't think they got a chance against Buffalo. 
Yeah, had this game been 10 years ago when uh, Phillip Rivers could actually throw the ball 25 yards down the field, maybe I'd say the coach. However, they don't. This is Buffalo. I'm taking a six and a half. I think they win by at least 10. That Take that to the bank. Buffalo, y'all. Uh, Cleveland at Pittsburgh in a rematch from last week. Like we mentioned, head coaches out for Cleveland, a couple players, a couple coaches. Pittsburgh is a three-and-a-half home favorite. Who you got here, Rob? Now, this was supposed to be my upset of the week, and, you know, they ruined it by Kevin Stefanski being <laughs> out. Like, he's a great play caller, right? And, you know, you just played this team. You, you know, mentally – could have you know had yourself in a situation where you feel like you just game plan for him, you're ready to go again. You already play him as a division opponent. Um, but without your head coach, who's also your play caller and a very mm-hmm. good one at that. Um, I know I talked about Tony Elliott maybe being a, being able to call in plays, but an NFL playoff game, you know, against a Mike Tomlin Steelers team that's you know goes to the playoffs year in and year out, well coached. I just don't see the Browns uh, as an organization being able to pull this off. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought they too for 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 this type of franchise finally make it to the playoffs all this time, and now you got to go into the game without your head coach. Listen, like I mentioned, Cleveland barely beat Pittsburgh with Pittsburgh backups. No way they're coming into this game, especially without the head coach. I think the line might even be moved up to four and a half. Either way, if it's ten and a half, I'm taking <laughs> Pittsburgh. Uh, last AFC game, Baltimore at Tennessee. Tennessee is a four and a half point underdog at home. Who you got here? I think Baltimore wins this game, but I don't think they cover the spread. I mean, this is this is a revenge game for Baltimore, right? Like they kind of got laughed out of there um, last year um, in a game that a lot of fans. Well, I think we started to see coming by the end of the playoffs, but at the beginning of the playoffs, nobody would have thought that Tennessee would have upset Baltimore. Um, so I think that um, Tennessee Tennessee ultimately may lose this game, but I think they cover the spread. Gotcha. I'm going with Baltimore here. I think. Lamar Jackson is looking to to avenge last year's loss, looking to to show that he can win a big game in the playoffs. And I just think Tennessee's defense isn't what they were last year. Tennessee's defense got them to the AFC Championship game. They don't have that same type of defense. Their defense has been a weakness on this team. Exactly, exactly. So I I think Lamar Jackson and and Baltimore going to Tennessee, and I I think they win by uh, a touchdown. So I'm going Baltimore. NFC, Tampa Bay at Washington. Washington is a a seven-and-a-half point underdog at home who you got here as well they should be tampa, <laughs> tampa Bay better cover this damn spread i didn't have to hear about tom brady all damn offseason they better go in there and win by at least 10 points listen tampa bay's ultimate weakness is pass protection right washington's biggest strength is their pass rush so i think it's a great matchup for washington however you know alex smith still isn't fully healthy they're talking about rotating quarterbacks you know washington can stop brady and tampa maybe for a, a half they can't stop them for a whole game. They're going to score at least 24 points, and I don't think Washington can score 10. Um, Washington should have lost to Philly if Philly would have tried. All right? right. That's how bad they are. Philly had nothing to play for. Philly intercepts a pass that almost got returned for a touchdown to almost give them a lead, and that was with their starters in the game, Philly, and, and Philly had nothing to play for. That's that's what you left out in my three and two. Neither one of us could have <laughs> predicted that Philly would just throw the game. I could. That's why I went with them. Uh, so Tampa Bay taking that going going to the bank with that one. Uh, this is a, a division rivalry here. Los Angeles Rams at Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks are four and a half point favorites. Who you got here? Uh, yeah, they lucky it's only four and a half, and they probably it's only <laughs> four and a half because uh, McVay's playing it tight, close to the vest with the status Jared Goff is. But you know, as Saints fans, we lost our quarterback to a broken thumb before. I don't see how he'll be back for this playoff game, and if he is, I don't think he'll look good. 
And so, you know, Seattle beat them with Jared Goff, broke his thumb in week 16. So I don't see how they'd be able to come back without him in the first round of the playoffs and, and beat him. So I think that Seattle was this one going away. Yeah, McVay's offense was cute the first year with Goff. Now it's been exposed. They, they rely on play action and run game. The running backs are banged up. Um, Cam Akers is banged up. Goff has a broken thumb and he can't throw with a good thumb. So I just don't see him. Small hands has been an issue for him yeah. prior to. So turnovers, fumbles are, were already an issue for him. So you add a broken thumb to the equation. That's not a good look. I'm taking Seattle uh, as well. Last game of the day, we're taking NFC playoffs. Chicago Bears at our New Orleans Saints. The Saints are eight and a half point favorites. Who you like here? I'm not gonna lie, this one had me scratching my head. Uh, eight and a half. We had That's the largest lot. line of the weekend, and you're talking about a team that we went to overtime with the first mm-hmm. time. Um, yep. And you know, as much as I'm excited that we should be getting everybody back, you got guys who haven't practiced or played for weeks. You know, right. Deontay Harris, Mike Thomas, Alvin Kamara won't be able to practice. He's just gonna have to show up for the game because all of their running back room will have been quarantined away and they're going to just have to show up and play. So based on that, and the line was nine, it dropped to eight and a half. I'm going to say that we win, but don't cover. Gotcha. I, uh, I like the saints here. Uh, the difference was full started in that game. It was in Chicago. Uh, you know, I think that helps the bears when they, when they play in the soldier field, I think we're the better team. We beat them in Chicago. I think we'll beat them by even more. We dominated them last year in Chicago. Listen, Trubisky is playing better now than he is. I I agree. I agree. But I I don't think Trubisky has it. We get all our weapons back, and we looked, you know, we we looked on fire last week without Mike Thomas, without Alvin Kamara. So I think Breeze, you're starting to see a healthy Breeze, and, and maybe that time off, like last year, helped him get some rest rest the arm and, and i think he's coming out i think this is it for breeze this right. is all this or nothing every the, all the articles have come out and said that it's affirmative he's not pl- coming back next year so this is it i just hope that that doesn't make him play tight i feel like he should play loose like Agreed. you ain't got nothing to lose like your legacy at this point is it is what it is like this right. would be a nice cherry on top but if not your legacy is already solidified right. go got out a there Super Bowl. yeah exactly i'm with you uh i'm picking the saints with, with the points um last game national championship ohio state Alabama. Alabama is a seven point favorite. Um, who you got here? Yeah, again, I think that the only way Alabama loses a game like this is if Justin Fields comes out and gives Deshaun Watson like performance, which I don't think is possible given what I believe are likely crack ribs. They'll never tell us that. But, you know, you shoot a guy up twice in the same vein of, of how uh, Tyrod Taylor was shot up. That tells me that, you know, this, there was something substantial there. Listen. I think Alabama has the better skill players, but being an LSU fan, one thing I know Alabama keeps is an offensive line and a defensive line. Ohio State will not get to Mac Jones the way they got to Trevor Lawrence. They will protect him. And I don't think Ohio State can cover Devontae Smith. As you saw, Clemson had receivers running open all, all game, you know, last week when they couldn't get to Trevor Lawrence. So I think uh Devontae Smith has a huge game. I think Najee Harris has a big game, and I think it's close early on, but I think Alabama's got too much talent, too much depth on both sides of the ball. Uh, Alabama wins going away. That's all we got. Rob, anything before we head out of here? No, I just watched a couple of good basketball docs people should check out on, uh, you know, Lenny Cook, Shea Cotton uh, on Amazon. Check those out. Definitely, definitely. Uh, take them picks to the bank, y'all. Y'all can make some money this weekend. Me, me and Rob known to have a lot of success on, on uh, Wild Card Weekend. Get the fuck out, worldwide. Get the fuck out.